All right, we're live. We are rolling. We're um, uh, rolling tape. <laughs> Bird is, uh, your intros aren't getting better, by the way. I'm just letting you know that. I was just trying to think of like a different thing I could say. Do the question say- is, are they getting worse? <laughs> yes, they are. They are getting worse. This is the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. I am your host, Matt. With me is my co-host, part we say your name oh uh, my name's kyle bird thank you though for doing that That's how you uh, do it. <laughs> yeah no no that was i appreciate that because usually i'm doing the intro and that was uh that was nice and concise it was straight to the point but we have we have a third third voice that people just heard so our special guest our special guest of honor uh trev is with us everybody knows trev hi trev Woo. Trev, yeah, uh, Mega Gyrus, also extra, fan himself. <laughs> extra credit to Trev this time because this <laughs> this episode was his idea. <laughs> Don't throw me under the bus like that. But, uh... <laughs> I'm just saying. I think Matt and I were gonna cover Asylum stuff at one point, but just doing one just on Atlantic Rim prior to Pacific Rim Uprising. That's all you, man. This is- you should tell if you want to make the fans even like less trustworthy of me. You should just tell me the total truth. Where I was originally talked about doing the Pacific Rim and Atlantic Rim, and eventually I was like, Nah, I don't really care about Pacific Rim. I'll just come on for Atlantic Rim. <laughs> and then you said you were looking at your Blu-ray collection, and you th- you were like trying to clear it out, and you were you were thinking about uh, selling off Pacific Rim but keeping your Atlantic Rim. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> So oh gosh, you're a, this is... you're you're out of your mind. First, <laughs> I know I'm a monster. But, uh... Guys, guys, I have I have a totally off-topic thing, but it is March, and Trev, on your other uh, podcast, oh. uh, you do your March Madness thing, where you like you pit. I guess what, what do you do, X Men? Like fight each other or something? I don't. Yeah, so on my other podcast, which uh, you know you can all go listen to if you like the X Men, it's called Days of Future Podcast. We just did a special episode called Martin uh, Mutant March Madness. Where we just picked sixty-four different X-Men characters and then randomly pit them against each other. We created four brackets to put to start them in. Um, one bracket of like classic X-Men characters, one of villains, one of all young X-Men characters, like the people who would have been in the new X-Men or Generation X or New Mutants, and then one do we just call the Outsiders, which is kind of like X-Force members and X-Factor members, people that were never quite on one of the main teams, or if they were only briefly. And we started there and then randomly uh, kind of seeded them in those first rounds. <clears throat> And then my co-host and I, Joe, pit them against each other. And what we, how we did it was that we would had a little spinner and we would spin it, deciding if Joe or I picked the winner of that battle. And only one person could pick who won each each fight. And the factors we based it off of, where you had to decide. Uh, who would actually win in a fight was your first thing. If you couldn't really figure that out, then you turn to, well, how do they look visually? Who's more interesting looking visually in terms of costume and whatever? How unique are they? And if you just really couldn't decide, the final deciding factor would be, who did you really think would win in a game of one-on-one basketball? And, <laughs> and we were able, that one did come up a few times, which is always the most fun. Uh, so we just did that episode the other night. It's it's live now. And uh, yeah, I think it's a fun episode. Just if you don't mind hearing us just do a bunch of like debates about different characters. Well, uh, I can tell you that from the kaiju perspective, there's a ton of people that sit back and just argue about which monsters would win. So I'm sure that, you know, that, that's pretty applicable here. Uh, I yeah, think it's madness, though. Um, for a specific reason, I wanted to have a memoriam for my team, the Cincinnati Bearcats, which blew a 22-point lead in 11 minutes in the second half, which is the second largest lead blown in NCAA tournament history against the uh, Nevada, whatever they are, Wolfpack or something. Uh, I should know that because they destroyed us in the second half, and 
I wanted to put my phone through the TV. Like I literally had tears but in my eyes at one isn't, point. Isn't like this year, isn't everybody's bracket like toast now? Cause it's like the craziest March madness ever. Uh, yeah. I mean, you had the Virginia Cavaliers, which were the, the number one overall seed, which means they were the favorite to win it all. Got beat by a 16 seed, which has yeah. never happened. Yeah. But like, it's just, it's one of those things, Cincinnati sports, like the Bengals, the Reds, the Bearcats, Xavier, who I hate, but they're also a Cincinnati team. Also, they also blew like a 12 point lead in five minutes. It's just like, Cincinnati sports are cursed and I just need to vent to someone about that. And so I've elected to do it on a, on a Godzilla podcast, podcast. <laughs> but I mean, you know, hey, it is March madness. And so now that I have done that and I've got over my, uh, my grief, which is very real, um, <laughs> Trev, I want you were saying, so, you're about to say something about X-Men fighting each other. So I wanted to hear your second point. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say, like, I normally kind of actually hate those kind of debates that you were just talking about, though, who would win this when you're talking about fictional characters. But then if you're with a friend, you know, and you come up with a goofy way to do it, it can be kind of fun. But um, so, yeah, I mean, like it, it, it was a, it was an idea we ran with. And I don't begrudge Kaiju fans for doing that constantly. It's just I hope people realize how silly those debates kind of are, as long as you embrace the silliness and don't take it, you know, to heart. I think I'd, that's I'd the key imagine to those having kind. like the bracket structure also kind of makes it more interesting than just oh this, well it does because you know. i mean right off the bat like in the first round there was a couple matchups i hated because you know you're you right away you knew you're going to lose a favorite character um so that those were kind of interesting and i'm pretty satisfied and happy with the the end result of it i'm not going to spoil here who won but i think it turned out uh, pretty appropriate and uh it might feel like a long way to go for what might be an obvious answer but i still thought it was fun to do that's pretty that's pretty nifty um, so we are here to talk about Atlantic Rim. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, wait. Yeah. Sh- should we talk about that Mechagodzilla image? Lego Mechagodzilla? Trev, did you Billy? actually see that or did you just ignore it like a good, uh, normal person would? <laughs> no, I saw it. I mean, I, well, I, I saw it and then ignored it because that's my, what <laughs> did my it brain look like Mechagodzilla did. to you? No, I don't know what, it looks like a Rorschach test. I don't know what, uh... <laughs> It looks like uh, building blocks or Lego Mechagodzilla or just random shapes. I like the Rorschach test. That's probably the well. It's fairly that. heartbreaking to me because, as Bird knows, and I think has been established in previous episodes of this podcast, Mechagodzilla is actually my favorite Godzilla foe. I'm a pretty big fan of all the films with Mechagodzilla. Maybe it'll, it'll win you over, man. I don't think so. I mean, I hated the first anime. I'm not even like in the mood to watch the second one, other than I feel like maybe I should do it for the show. But yeah, honestly, I feel like the only reason. I mean, there's there's two reasons I'm going to watch it. One, I'm a Godzilla fan, but like the other reason is because I have to do it for the podcast, and it feels more now out of like necessity than a want, which makes me sad. Uh, I mean, my favorite fictional character, and it just the last two films from Toho have been for me just crap. They're out of control, man. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's it's a weird predicament because, like, I feel like no, even like I feel like people already forgot that that first one even happened. Like nobody's talking about this. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> I I listened to a few reviews and everybody's like, oh, it's it's a it's fine. It does you know they it's a typical defense of like. Oh, it sets everything up, and then you see the Mechagodzilla design, and uh, I just I don't, I don't I don't want it. Well, that's the thing. I mean, what's the long-lasting conversation that could really come out of that film? There's nothing worth talking about or debating for a long time after seeing it. <laughs> that's true. Uh, there was a lot of like standstill animation sequences with cool monsters they could have actually used. Like that's the one takeaway I had. I don't know. Mm-hmm. 
Anyway, we talked about that movie. Uh, Pacific right. Rim is coming out, what, Friday, Thursday? Yeah, okay, just really quickly, because since it's probably relevant, I wasn't on the Pacific Rim episode, so let me give my quick thoughts on Pacific Rim. Uh-oh. I do want to uh, okay. Yeah, uh, it's okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that was worth the build-up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? I like it. I just don't love it. It's it's pretty low on my Guillermo del Toro um, rankings. Um, I just think it's too long. I feel like it's a little too long, and it, it kind of loses me in the middle, and I really don't like Raleigh as a main character. But uh, a lot of the things people do like, you know, I love the fights and I, I love uh, some of the other characters. Yeah, it was great. Oh, and um, Mako. I know you, uh, you are a big Mako fan. Yeah, you're, you're always, that's yeah. yeah, it's great. And I, li- I love that it ends without a kiss, you know, stuff like that, like a lot of little things. But man, cut like maybe 20 minutes out. I'd probably be a lot more down for it. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. <sighs> yeah, the this sequel is like. Looks like hot garbage. <laughs> I don't. I. I mean. I've. I mean. I. We're gonna. I'm gonna see it. But I still. I. I don't know why they went forward with it once he dropped out. Especially like they didn't use his script or anything. And it is odd, right? It's one of those we don't get this very often anymore. Those rare cases where a sequel happens to a movie that wasn't like super successful, and it feels like they're they're really trying to force a franchise now. Yeah. But. I mean, obviously, it was made for the Chinese market because it like was like a record breaker over there. But still, I mean, why? I don't know why you wouldn't want to do it with the original without the original director, or at least use like the the story and stuff that he was leaving behind. It doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah, and if he was just more involved, they could really capitalize on it now because he's coming off of a pretty great. Oh yeah. uh... (laughs) You hey, do you think he regrets doing Shape of Water instead? No, not at all. Well, you know one franchise that did get it right to do a sequel with the same director? Yeah, man. Atlantic It'll... Rim. <laughs> mm-hmm. And of course, I speak of the great Jared Kahn. <laughs> the bird's looking that up as he's like telling you who made the movie. <laughs> so this is our first uh, step into Asylum territory. Um, they make a lot of movies with, with big monsters, so at some point... We might get back in. Um, so, uh, what is the asylum? Um, well, uh, I don't know. Trev, do you think that's a loaded question? I think it's kind of easy to explain. So, especially for those of you who might still live around video stores, uh, if you do live somewhere where you have family video, um, or even I think, you know, for like the, the later years of Blockbuster, if you remember that, you know, during that initial kind of like, DVD boom, uh, or maybe a little later in the DVD boom, you know, very often you go to the video store to rent, you know, the the last big blockbuster you missed in the theater. And right next to it or somewhere in the same vicinity would be a movie that looks like, wait, what is this? Like, okay, I'm here to rent Transformers, but here's Transmorphers. Uh, I'm here to rent uh, I Am Legend, but here's I Am Omega. What is going on here? That's the asylum. Now, that's not necessarily how they started. We'll get into their history, but that's what they've primarily become known for is the the idea of the mockbuster, a quickly, hastily thrown together, cheap version of a bigger theatrical release that's really just made to kind of confuse the marketplace and capitalize on the idea that people want to see more movies like this. Um, Burton, I also know you and I have, t- have kind of called them like a modern version of trauma. Not that trauma has gone away. They're certainly not very relevant anymore. But that's kind of what asylum. It's like a better run trauma to a certain degree, and I'm sure we'll we'll like elaborate on that as we go along too. Well, yeah, they definitely have made more money. Uh, yeah, they're more successful for sure. <clears throat> the asylum is like a better run trauma, but a not as good 
Roger Corman. Yeah, that's probably perfect. But they, uh, and like you and could say, Roger Corman like invented the Mockbuster. You know, you'd see yeah. Jaws. Oh, here's Piranha. You, there's like a there are a hundred different alien. Well, but I'd say like with those, right? Like back in the day, because you know, and, and just like Corman did it, and then um, foreign markets did it all the time too, right? Like Italian films made tons of like Mockbusters. Oh yeah, right. Mockbuster Zombie films. was yeah, a quote unquote get, like, sequel to Dawn of the Dead. And you'd get like Alien and Terminator ripoffs quite often over there. Tons of Mad Max ripoffs, right? But I think what separates the Asylum is how blatant it is. Right. I mean, they're not even like pretending. So, I mean, you have something like Pacific Rim and then it's like, but uh, yeah, ours is a lag rim. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it, they're not they're not <laughs> trying to fool anyone necessarily. And they have been very successful in particular that, uh, you know, when at a certain point they got involved with the Sci-Fi Channel. And I think that was a huge yeah. partnership for them. Well, I actually think For a think long time now... they were putting like... For a long now time, I would all say all their that, stuff on Netflix. Oh yeah, like everything was on Netflix at one point. I think now they're probably more than the Mockbuster is known for Sharknado. Yeah, Sharknado is definitely their big phenomenon thing. That's that's true. Um, it's weird that like uh, um, most of their like biggest, I guess quote unquote hits haven't been the Mockbusters. It's been like the Mega Shark series. That's like their own giant monster series or yeah, the Sharknados. Um so yeah, but yeah, the Mockbusters is probably what like got people's attention. First. Do you think those are their biggest hits because people don't feel like people are more willing to admit they like those? You know, like I guess I think there's still a level of uh kind of looking down on the Mockbusters as like super cynical and super crass that they exist. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there's a little bit of that there. Um, but, but yeah, the, the Sci-Fi Channel partnership helped them out. And, and when we say these movies are cheap, we mean, like, cheap. Like, that, <laughs> <laughs> the average budget is about half a million dollars, and then from the second someone comes up with an idea to the second the movie is released, that's usually, like, a four-month time span. Well, you think about it, you'd think because you just said the, the minute someone comes up with an idea, they don't even come up with the idea necessarily. I think they scan like what upcoming movies yeah, yeah. and they go, well, the, here's the one we're going to rip off. And yeah, they need to match that release date, right? They want it to come out around the same time. That's why we have Atlantic Rim just two like debuting now. Um, and they don't it's not like they have a lot of information about what that movie's going to be. So they have to just kind of look at the synopsis of the actual movie and kind of figure out what their version is going to be. That's why you oftentimes end up with some of these that are like way off the mark, but in a pretty <laughs> funny way. Yeah, like none of the mockbusters, I think, in terms of like plot or story, really come close <laughs> to the ori- original thing. Unless it's something like, uh, you know, the, their version of like sleeping beauty or so, like a, a story that's already been yeah done. john uh, carter they're yeah, just they just usually, did princess of mars you know yeah usually aside from like some imagery or, or like a, a tagline or something they're they're not very similar um mm-hmm. so uh i mean the asylum is i i don't even know if i could say polarizing i feel like me and trev I, there's asylum fans out there i know there are but mm-hmm. I feel like they're they're very um, disliked by <laughs> movie buffs. Um, I don't and I don't know. I mean, I guess we're kind of they're on the they're on the fence between like is what they do. Would you consider it plagiarism or would you just say it, it's opportunistic like exploitation? 
Yeah, it's funny because if you'd asked me that question years ago when I was first finding out about them, I probably would have said, oh, that's clearly plagiarism. They're just these ripoffs and everything. And then I started watching them. And like I said, like, I think you and I both kind of got into them to a certain degree. And um, it's not that I like all of them, but I started to kind of get what they were going for. And they can be pretty fun. And I think, you know, I know like uh, one of the, the producers, David Michael Latt, one of the guys who runs the asylum, he's been pretty open about that, right? Saying that, look, we're not really trying to fool people anymore. Um, he even talks about that idea of this, this idea of people being confused and buying buying the wrong movie. He, he really thinks that's the minority at this point. I think they're they're going after people who understand these are cheaper versions and just like that kind of movie. Right. They like the big blockbuster one, but they also then they have an itch for more and they're willing to watch a cheaper, dumber version with you know lesser actors. I will say I'm sure if 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 there are any of the people who might be confused and rent an asylum version of something that's like out now. Chances mm-hmm. are, whatever you take home and put in your player, you deserved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not like Mockbusters. I mean, the concept of cashing in on something has been around. It's not like Asylum's the only company to do it. It's been around for decades, whether it's crappy ripoff toys in the dollar store or, you know, mm-hmm. just movies that do it. Well, it's not well like Matt, we did a whole thing. episode... Um... We can do a quick plug even, like, last year, around this time, right before Skull Island, of all the, like, cheap... Essentially, yeah, they were King Kong mockbusters when we talked about, mm-hmm. like, Ape and Conga and yeah. all that stuff. Like, well, exactly. one, of, one of the Asylum's first mockbusters was a Kong one. Yeah, that's true. Which, I oddly enough, I haven't seen that one or their Cloverfield one lately. Like, how many times like, would you walk I mean. into, into Blockbuster and you would see a movie that looked almost identical to something you wanted to get? Like, but this was before Asylum was even around because they're not around till what ninety seven. So, mm-hmm. like, that was a common thing. Uh, it's not like it's new, is all I'm saying. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I, yeah, I, I look at it more at this point like ex- exploitation. I mean. Yes, they're like, and like you said, they're not only doing these mockbusters too. You know, they're also doing things like Mega Shark and Sharknado. They still produce kind of uh, faith-based films occasionally, which they have a division of that. Um, so they they have their toes in other water. They do and, comedies uh, and stuff. Like, yeah, like um, on average, they probably do. I don't know. I mean, Trev, you've looked at like their filmography. They probably do something like twelve to fifteen movies a year, and maybe like four or five might be mockbusters so Mm -hmm. um i don't know i i I feel like i don't know i have i have it in me now to like defend them with to to, uh uh within reason of course um sometimes they're like way ahead of the curve too right like uh, oddly enough like so they did princess of mars which was their version of john carter and you'd say oh that's their mockbuster of john carter but it wasn't it came out years before john carter it was actually their mockbuster of avatar because they acknowledge that Avatar was ripping off John Carter, which goes back to what you were saying, Matt, about how this idea of ripping stuff off is nothing new, right? And so they just acknowledge that and said, well, we'll just actually do a John Carter movie then. I just noticed in 2009, they also did uh, their mockbuster of The Haunting in Connecticut was The Haunting of Winchester House. And here we are years later, and we just got an actual Winchester movie from Hollywood, you know? So sometimes they, oddly enough, <laughs> uh, end up ahead of the curve with their That's weird. That's like a serpent eating its tail. <laughs> that's really strange <laughs> i like when they go really all i like i like when they're just weird though like in 2010 one of this they did one of the strangest ones which was uh their version of sherlock holmes because the uh 
the the Robert Downey Jr. film is coming out. So they did Sir Arthur, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle Sherlock Holmes, which has uh, dinosaurs in it. Has <laughs> Sherlock Holmes like fighting a dinosaur? Uh, I like when they just do something just totally bizarre like that. Well, I read the synopsis for uh, the upcoming Triassic World, and it has to do with like people trying to sell dinosaur organs on the black market. Mm-hmm. That sounds like, kind of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to watch it, though. Uh, so, uh, Matt, I think this is your first Asylum anything. So, uh, Trev, real quick. Uh, I, Trev probably is the one that probably got me into watching Asylum movies. Not, not to, you know, Trev, not to make anyone think any less of you. But No, man, I'm, I'll own it. <laughs> But what what have been some of? Uh, I mean, I think we probably have the same favorites. So let's rattle off a few titles. I think I think I'll I'll start by saying the best one and probably the one they'll never top is Air Collision, which is about yeah. Air Force One on a collision course with a commercial airliner. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you because like, of a rogue uh, because of a rogue artificial intelligence. <laughs> yes, uh, and it is like a stream of consciousness. No normal person would think of this movie. Um, it's really something to see. Like I, I've I've introduced it to a lot of friends, and um, it really comes out because it's not a mockbuster. It's one of the ones that's it's kind of low profile for them, which is too bad because it's just they do these occasional disaster movies, and a lot of them aren't anything to write home about. But Air Collision is just one of these films where every single filmmaking decision is the wrong one. It's just like consistently like, what are you doing? And that's what makes it so entertaining. Um, and that's yeah, that's by far my favorite. No, one. I, I legitimately asylum. think that movie belongs with like The Room and like Troll 2. Yeah, is, like a high watermark of great bad movies. And in that same kind of vein, we'll talk about some other better titles in a second, but also that same director, Liz Adams, who you and I are fans of because of Air Collision, also went on to do Cyper, uh, Super Cyclone, which is uh, not as good, but still pretty fun. Uh, it has Ming-Na in it right before she got Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm sure she's really excited for me to bring that back up. And then also the Dean Kane classic, Airplane versus Volcano, oh, which, which, which as my DVD of that movie uh, tests on the front, it's Airplane versus Volcano. Volcano, based on the true story. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what story they're talking about or what, but it's apparently there's some true story that that's based on. Uh, there's also um, the Mega Shark series, which is probably yeah. Good, it's probably let's good material for this show. Cold, yeah, let's talk about the Stone Cold classics, right? We we <laughs> start with Me- I mean the Mega Shark series starts with Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus, which probably was their bit like first like. Well, that was viral. the first thing that went viral. Yeah. yeah, that that clip of Mega Shark jumping out of the ocean and uh, eating the plane was a, definitely a big viral like uh, sensation, and then that turns into a whole series. Um, another one that's uh, I think a, a classic for them because it, it got a lot of play on uh, Sci-Fi Channel is Mega Piranha. Oh uh, yeah, Mega is, Piranha is great. That that yeah that is one of maybe after Air Collision that might be my favorite one. Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, I also would definitely advocate uh, checking out Titanic 2, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> which we both said, I don't think we would say it's better, but we both said we like more than yeah, James certainly Cameron enjoy Titanic. It, more. it probably means um, I really there's something lo- wrong with us. 
I also really like their, uh, I mean, you know, look, hey, at the end of the day, I like the Sharknado series. I know it's gotten a little, like, long in the tooth, no pun intended, but uh, for the most part, I'm still on board because it's not like my expectations are super high for them. I think that's a fun thing to watch for 90 minutes each summer. Um, and I'd also really advocate uh, their Three Musketeers, which is kind of a modern-day Three Musketeers for some reason. That's a fun and one, just, and that was the mockbuster yeah. for the Paul Anderson Three mm-hmm. Musketeers, which... yeah. I've seen some of, and I would take the Asylum version, like, any day. Yeah. Ooh, and we can't forget Two-Headed Shark Attack. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Two-Headed Shark Attack's awesome, too. Yeah. So, I mean, there's others, but I could go on and on. But those are the ones, if you if you like the idea of the Asylum, I'd say start with some of those. Everybody well, knows about, like, Sharknado and stuff like that. But, like, yeah. for me, it's, it's something I haven't really... This is my but, first well, let's, experience. Well, let's ask that, Matt, because we, Bird and I can handle the history thing then. But let me just ask you, as someone who wasn't as familiar with it, what did you know about the asylum? Like, how? I guess Bird and I are weird because we don't know the answer to this, right? Because we live in a strange bubble of being into this kind of stuff. But like, what's it like per, out there? How much perception is there of the asylum if you're not us? Like, did you know what they were or what? Yeah, I mean, I, I knew they made mockbusters. I knew they they were basically making films that cashed in on other films, successful or not. Um, and I, I think I think the major perception is like these are super cheesy films, but in a way, they kind of make stuff that no other. You know, Hollywood's not going to make these movies for the most part, so it, they can do the the crazy, wacky, really dumb stories that are very they can be science fiction they can be all kinds of different stuff but they they touch on things that i i think just kind of expand the horizon for the audience and mm-hmm. i think more than anything that's what i like who's gonna make sharknado well they did so i mean that, that's 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 the kind of stuff i think i like about them but otherwise i think people's perception is those are really bad movies uh, and no one yeah. should watch them. I think that's the general perception. It's interesting because I'm, I'm about to say something go, going off what you said that's going to sound so complimentary to them. And it's <laughs> probably I'm sure people are going to roll their eyes. And I look, I know how dumb this sounds, but there's an element of truth to this, too. I was just thinking about what you said about how like Hollywood's not going to make these movies, Matt. And I was thinking, like, one thing you can say about the asylum is that these are not unlike regular blockbusters. These are not committee driven movies you know so like people complain a lot now how when you go see like something like transformers or the dc or marvel movies they often don't feel like the vision of a director right they feel like they're just like oh this has been noted to death to make sure it hits the four quadrants and i'm not saying the asylum necessarily has any visionaries working for them in terms of directors or anything but they just hurriedly throw these things together there's no time for a committee to come in and note it to death whatever that initial idea was it's up on screen <laughs> and and that can be like really bad, but it can also give it a some kind some kind of level of integrity that I guess is somewhat admirable. Yeah, I I, I definitely I, I definitely see you and agree with that point. Um, and like I said, it, it it gives you something that you're not going to get from sort of mainstream uh, Hollywood. I mean, like it's just you're you're just not. And so if you're a fan of like crazy off the wall stories and science fiction, that is also incredibly hilarious, both intentionally and unintentionally, then these can be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and Trev has met the, uh, asylum, uh, the, the asylum people, like the main, like the founders. And he told them that he watches their movies on shitty movie nights. And Trev, what was their response? They loved it. That's uh, they said. I, they were like they told me I was ex- doing exactly what they're going for. That's 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 the spirit of it. They don't. 
they don't think they're making Bergman films. You know, these guys know what they are and they know the kind of audience they're for. So, yeah, I, I've a couple times I've been to San Diego Comic-Con and for a while they were running a booth there. I don't think they do it anymore, but uh, they were awesome. I mean, they were dead. They were they loved meeting the fans. They were all about, you know, talking to you, asking you what your favorite Asylum films were. And, and then, yeah, we had open discussions about them. like, yeah, me and my buddies have like a shitty movie night and uh, that's when we watch your movies. And then they they loved it They They get the spirit of it sweet and it kind of came to that right so like in terms of the history they were actually originally so they've been around for a while as matt said earlier they they were formed in 1997 they're formed by uh david michael latt and david uh, ramawi who are the two that i met and then sherry strain a third partner who i don't know too much about i'm not sure how involved she still is because i feel like i never see her name really in the credits but uh david michael latt and david ramawi are still definitely the guys running the show i've met them they're awesome um and at first, the asylum really just starts as kind of one of those typical small little indie studios that's just doing like low budget films, primarily horror. And then they're also picking up indie films for distribution, um, including like Bird, you're one of a film you like and I absolutely despise <laughs> Stuart Gordon's <laughs> King, King of the Ants. <laughs> Um, and, and like some stuff like that, they even have a, I just saw that I didn't notice until bird pointed out in his like little notes about this, but, uh, their one of their first films was a rom-com starring Colin Firth. So, Hey, they had some integrity at first. <laughs> at first. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the mockbuster thing started in Oh four. Um, when David Michael Lapp was reading HG Wells war of the worlds and wanted to make a movie version. And then he found out the Spielberg one was happening and he, uh, went back and forth on if he still wanted to do his and he went forward with it. And then blockbuster or the video store just went insane and ordered like a hundred thousand copies, which was like, was that a mistake? Were they trying to order the Spielberg one? Or? I don't know what they were doing, but it made them change their whole business model. And then from there, they did King of the Lost World, which we mentioned is the King Kong one. Um, but then, yeah, they just kept doing them. Transmorphers, Snakes on a Plane. Uh, or, I'm no, sorry, Snakes on a Train. <laughs> snakes yeah. on a Train. Uh, <laughs> the Day the Earth Stopped. <laughs> one of my favorites. That's a great title. Uh, paranormal entity. Um, I mean, the, there's a billion of these things. Uh, Tomb Invader just came out. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're and like we said, they they get criticized for the mockbuster stuff, but most of their content isn't in the mockbuster realm. Although um, that. It's definitely like what first got people's attention is like who who's making a tr- movie called Tra- who would make a tr- movie called Transmorphers when Transformers just came out. Um, but that brings us to Atlantic Rim uh, of 2013, which oddly enough is actually called Attack from Beneath, although on IMDb it's listed as From the Sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, three well this is one of the few times so there's been a couple times where they've actually you know kind of got hit on the uh the titling thing right the other one was they did a film called age of the hobbits and the tolkien estate came in and, and was like nah, and made them change that and <laughs> Do you i actually they was, tried to fight uh, that by saying like 
they discovered some kind of like pygmy thing that yeah they, well there's like an, there's, <laughs> a, there's an ancient, there's a there's an actually is like an ancient race of pygmies that uh are that anthropologists called hobbits in like honor of lord of the rings and they're like well that's what our movie is actually about <laughs> but it didn't fly and they were forced to change the name of that one um i one of my most prized possessions was i was able to get my hands on one of the initial dvds before they changed the title uh so i have the age of the hobbits dvd it ain't worth crap but i like having it and i and i can only assume this is another case because when the when the credits start for this film the uh what is it? What's the title now? <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> Attack from Beneath. The the opening credits look like something that were hurriedly put onto the film, like it just kind of typed in and thrown in. I'm guessing that's because they were forced to change the name. Um, so uh, I'll give the synopsis for this weird movie. Um, uh, okay, so there's a. Uh, one of those um like oil vessels in the middle of the ocean and it capsizes because a giant monster attacks it and it turns out it hatched from these eggs that uh these monsters have to lay it on like on on like crude oil or something i don't know but uh so they to find out what happened um they send out these uh giant robots called um the armadas and they 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 say that in the beginning they're deep sea research vessels. Why they made them giant mo- uh, uh, robots, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so they discover um, that there uh, are these like monsters' eggs at the bottom of the ocean, and so uh, the rest of the movie is essentially they have the three pilots. One, played by uh, Baywatch's David Chokichi. He's red, um, and he's in the red robot. The other is Treach of Naughty by Nature fame, for uh, any 90s kids out listening. He's in the blue robot. And then there's some, some girl played by someone of, who's not really known for anything. Maybe Asylum movies, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Burgess, Burgess sounded oddly sexist. There's David Chokichi, Treach, and some girl. <laughs> Do you know who she is? Her name's Jackie Moore, man. Can't you at least have it in front of you? <laughs> but like, okay. Anyway, uh, and she's not like famous for any anything in particular. I don't think. There, there's a reason for that. I'm just gonna. Throw that in. <laughs> That's one thing we didn't mention. Is a lot of the time the asylum will cast these like uh, former like, big stars, and, uh, I don't know, some of them, like, Graham Greene, who is a, uh, general in this movie. Admiral. Oh, Admiral, I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, he, not only can you tell on screen, because he's giving what Trev and I have dubbed the least committed performance we've ever seen out of an actor. Not the Yeah, another another friend of ours called it anti-acting, which I kind of... (laughs) And he clearly doesn't want to be there. But sometimes, you know, you can tell some of these guys, like, they've accepted their lot in life. They're having fun with it. Like, that's why me and Trev, I think, really like Dean Cain. Because, mm-hmm. you know, he just does these movies and it's he's like, you know, this is what I do. It's fun. I think that's one of the like one of the things that keeps Sharknado going, right, is how clearly Ian Ziering is actually having a ball doing this. Yeah. You know, it's it's like that kind of attitude. Yeah. Um, Graham Greene, not in that camp. <laughs> no, not at all. He's clearly angry to be there and has decided that he is not going to put a single ounce of effort into his performance. <laughs> um, 
And so these pilots, they have, uh, I don't know, I guess you could say they're like um, the delinquents. Uh, like they're all they're anytime they're not in the robot they're drinking and and when they're in the robot they're usually drunk, um, and uh, David Chokichi is like the bad boy who's always getting in trouble. We don't really we never really learn why the admiral and all them hate him so much. Really, he's they say he's a loose cannon, but he doesn't really seem to do anything that threatening. And for like half the movie, he's in a, a cell that's. Like a cleared out hotel room or something. It doesn't look like any well, kind of. We should say because it's a crucial plot point here. He does disobey an order in the in the opening like act, and that's the thing. So when the monsters first appear and they're down by the oil rig, um, he kind of accidentally draws the monster to like to shore. To, he tries to go. Well, he's trying to warn the bystanders that are on the beach. Like, hey, there's a monster coming. And there's a question of is that if is that the thing that draws the monster in? And so they tell him not to do that, and he goes ahead and does it anyways. And then he ends up having to fight the monster, and that actually takes you know that like destroys the city. Now they tell us it destroys the city, um, but because this is the asylum, that's depicted by no real damage to any buildings, but a lot of people just <laughs> randomly laying on the street dead, and we don't know why. <laughs> And, oh, but yeah, man. but I think that's pretty funny because, as you said, so he gets in trouble for that because he disobeyed an order, and they they lock him in solitary confinement. There's, there's a great part in the movie though where they decide that well, you did beat the monster though, so they temporarily let him out of imprisonment so he can get a medal, and then they put him back in. And I just love that. <laughs> yeah, he goes to like <laughs> the governor's ball or something, yeah. and they give him a medal, and then they put him back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, and we should mention that monster, the first monster that uh, he tried to warn people away from. They give him a medal for killing it, even though he, he just, like, held it down while uh, a, a pilot um, mm-hmm. spits fire. Spitfire. Yeah. <laughs> he's my favorite, my favorite side character in the film. <laughs> yeah, he's the, who played by the director also. Mm-hmm. He's the one that actually kills it, but he doesn't get anything. Yeah. <laughs> No, um, no glory for fire yeah and then uh yeah and then you know the second monster hatches uh that one's put down by um by like a, a car- carpet bombing and then the third monster comes out and then the the three pilots kill the third monster um and that's it in between you Spoiler have a lot alert. of drinking um you have a lot of grand green uh clearly not caring about his job um and just uh a lot of just random foolishness that i'm i'm sure we'll get into Um, yeah the typical uh the the government's gonna bomb the city and we need to stop this before they do kind of cliche although that's done weird here because it's like another military guy it's the guy with the eye patch who talks in like what's clearly a fake voice (laughs) like (laughs) like he, he talks like solid snake or something but he uh but yeah he like gives the order which i don't think like he can do that and then he pulls a gun on everyone after that he's been on nuking the city for some reason yeah he just wants to nuke the city just cuz i guess <laughs> did you guys like the part where uh yes uh, <laughs> uh whoever the lady is that bird was being sexist i guess i'm going to probably sound sexist too here but like Treach and her have this thing on the side and like they're trying to talk to to red about it and like he keeps getting interrupted and he doesn't seem to care that they hooked up once 
<laughs> so that part's so weird, right? We just so Bird and I just rewatched this the other night, and we were like, we forgot about that scene. We we're like laughing at it again, right? Where they tell him, and he's just like, "Eh, hey, whatever, man. Friends hook up or whatever." He's like, "As long as it's not still going on." And they're like, "Uh." <laughs> 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 but then at the end, he's like kissing her and stuff. Yeah. yeah, it was it was weird. It makes it makes it sound like it was still going on, and that they were trying to make it more serious. And it's just it was. Matt, weird. did you like the scene? This is one of my favorite moments <laughs> in the film, where uh, it's the moment where you first see them in their like uh, you know their outfits that they wear inside the robots, and they're doing the slow motion like walk that's in every kind of film like this. But it just goes on like way too long in this one. It's <laughs> it like, goes on least, for what feels like, like two like, minutes. Yeah, it's like at least twenty five seconds too long, and you're like, uh, okay, guys, like we we get it. <laughs> my, I think my my favorite parts of the film are the facial expressions they make during combat because they're just so ridiculous and out there. Uh, uh, Treach especially, also about about Treach, he runs really like just he has a very funny motion when he runs. I don't know. It bothered me for some reason. I don't know. Maybe that's just because I, the movie was so like, and for me that I was just kind of nitpicking at that point. We should um, say too, because people who are listening to this, who've never seen this, which I'm sure is a lot of your listeners <laughs> and are more familiar with Pacific Rim. You have this image in your head of like what it looks like when the Jaeger pilots are inside the Jaeger. Uh, get that out of your head because anytime <laughs> you have an asylum movie where someone's piloting something or like on a submarine, the cockpit is always clearly just like a closet or something that they threw a camera in. And here it's like clearly just like a room they're in with some sticks in front of them that are supposed to be the joysticks they're using to control the, the, uh, the robot. I saw a behind and we, the scenes. We never, we I, never see like, we only, they only show them from like one angle. So we never see like a screen in front of them. We don't have no sense of what they're looking at necessarily. It's, it's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> the, I, um, I saw a behind the scenes photo of like them shooting one of those scenes. The cockpit is actually like, it's a, it's a hotel room. Yeah, that they just like sounds turn the lights off and like put a bunch of stuff behind the the actor. <laughs> oh my gosh! And and you also have the image of like the you know getting into the suit and you know getting into the Jaeger and getting all like linked up. This they put on like some weird like visor thing that goes on their foreheads and that's like yeah there's a whole plot point like where the, their first couple encounters they just normally control the robots because as bird said they're only meant to be these robots that are meant for like deep sea exploration then later when they realize they have to fight monsters now they give them these halo headbands that neurally linked them to the robots the only problem is that they now feel pain anytime the robot gets hit which i don't quite understand the logic of that but uh yeah, it's so I, it's never made clear why that's like necessary because they beat the first monster without that. But oh well. <laughs> and then the second monster gets killed by like just the military like missiles. So why do they even need the robots to do anything? Yeah, because that's what the that's what happened <laughs> in Pacific Rim. That's what... <laughs> uh, one other point plot point that I thought was hilarious is when he's locked in when. Uh red's locked in the room and they're trying to get him out is like they beat on the door handle for about five minutes trying to break it because it's locked and the monster's attacking and they're trying to get him out of the room I'm like dude you with can't. the hammer yeah yeah he's oh, like, that's what, he... that part is amazing that's like one of my that's probably one of the best bits is when yeah so they're having a really hard time breaking down this basic door and then david chokichi red who's the guy in solitary confinement he's standing by the doorknob and Treach is like, back up, man, back up. Because you've seen that cliche movies of when you blow up a door, the person can't be by it. So like they're like, get away from the door. And then he just hits the doorknob with a hammer. And I'm like, wait, what did what do you think was gonna happen to Chokichi on the other side? Like that was not gonna hurt him in the least. 
so the funny thing is it goes on for like two minutes like literally they they flash the monster they flash back and like the hammer's still going it's just <laughs> one of the most absurd things about the movie <laughs> yeah and it was uh it was really difficult um and like it was it was it was yeah they make it look like it's this like herculean feat like it does like all this slow-mo um uh, one of my favorite parts is uh after the the first monster attack they're showing like a bunch of dead people in the streets and like one of the like probably the body that's like in the focus of the frame you can see the guy like he opens his eyes and he kind of like looks around <laughs> a little bit <laughs> yeah. i like that whole sequence too because we talked about how like they just keep having walking around the city and there's all these dead bodies and there's there's like no like effort to be like maybe we should clean this up maybe we should do something about all these like dead like these just corpses littering the street it seems like they're just going to leave it there for a while i'm like well, i hope this is, this is someone else's problem i'm sure someone will come along and mop this up then there's the part where treach saves the little girl like from a burning building and gives her to her to, to her dad and he's like this is my goddaughter now so take really good care of her <laughs> yeah and just declares himself her godfather <laughs> that, i don't know if that's how that works <laughs> uh <laughs> Um, so, so, I, I mean, Trev, do you want to talk about Graham Greene a little more? I, I mean, what more, what more can you say? I think, <laughs> I, I honestly think, I, so I know this movie didn't work for Matt quite the way it worked for us, but uh, I think this movie is uh, quite a bit of fun, especially if you have the right spirit of just liking bad movies. And if in particular you like bad movies for bad performances, I really do think Graham Greene is something to behold here because it's really like, as as Bird said, it's not a new idea that sometimes you get these actors who had a pretty decent career or were a name and then end up later in their career in these kind of films. But I've never seen the animosity or disinterest just seep off the screen quite <laughs> like you get with Graham Greene here. He is just like visibly like the entire time, every bit of his performance is like, I don't want to be here. I'll be damned if I'm going to give you the slightest bit of effort. Um, he does have a great expression where someone says something and he yells bull butter. I thought that was a great, uh, a great <laughs> little exclamation. <laughs> but but overall, he just couldn't care. And that culminates in the end where <laughs> all the main characters do a fist bump, which he takes part in, but like just barely he puts in like this light. Like, yeah, all right, I'll kind of lift my hand, I guess, and tap your fist. <laughs> and then and then he I swear to God, I feel like the last shot of the film is like the actual last shot of filming because the characters like, well, like, well, let's go to the bar or whatever, because that's what they always do. And then Graham Greene just like peels off into their direction and like just starts walking off the set. And I'm like, oh, he's just done. He's leaving the movie at this point. That's what you're watching. That fist bump is pretty amazing. I wish there was a gif of that. Yeah. It is the most awkward fist bump in the history of it. It is, it is so awkward. Have you ever like if you've ever missed a high five, which, you know, I have because I'm awkward, I guess uh, it's worse than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But in the movie plays, it as like the triumphant victory handshake basically but it's just like the most awkward like they couldn't do another take which i they probably couldn't knowing these guys <laughs> that's probably because green and green was like i'm done <laughs> i'm not giving you another take. and there, there is something to be said where uh they literally get the characters out of the bar where they're drinking heavily to give them the the neural uplink visor thing and get them yeah, to yeah. fight these these giant you know dinosaurs shots right before they go into combat <laughs> and, yeah and, and, 
it's just like this is the first giant robot uh anything i've seen where the pilots are they're defending the world and they're hammered at the same time Mm -hmm. now we should point out that if we're going to get into like a little bit of the trios film there is actually like we're not we're not just whistling dixie we're talking about graham green seeming disinterested um, around the time this was being filmed, GQ magazine actually did a profile piece on the asylum because this they were starting to get a lot of attention for Sharknado and things like that. And they talk in that article about how, you know, some actors are fine working with the asylum, find it fun, and then others just don't want anything to do with it, really. They just feel like they're there for the paycheck. And they said Graham Greene, because they were there on set for Atlantic Rim, uh, they said Graham Greene was definitely one of those. He kept refusing to talk to the reporter, kept putting him off. And they said that uh, people on the set heard, I think it's like through a grapevine thing, that Graham Greene was criticizing the script, saying that the latest draft felt like it was written by a can of spaghetti. That was his quote. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it does. (laughs) Yeah, he's not wrong, oddly enough. Uh, Well, now, Matt, I know you weren't uh, the biggest fan of this uh this movie but are there any highlights uh that uh whether it's stuff that we talked about a minute ago or not were there any highlights that at least stuck out to you as something that you uh might have gotten a chuckle out of i mean yeah the the (laughs) the absurd hammer scene trying to open the door was hilarious the random bodies laying around that like you couldn't tell how they got there because they're just it's like if you I don't know, walked into a classroom and like you just told everybody to lay down like that's what that scene is. And also <laughs> yeah. uh, the fist bump. I, I laughed hysterically at the fist bump because like I think actually tre- it's treats like he doesn't um, <laughs> he doesn't actually hit anything. And like the black guys left out, which I got I thought was either racist or hysterical. I'm not really sure for which. <laughs> uh, um, and then I'm trying to think like everything else was honestly annoying and I, I should say if you watch this movie with the right group of people i can see how it would be fun and i watched it with my wife and we both found it so grating that like mm-hmm. halfway through she kind of checked out and i was ready to give up i will say uh like that's uh, trev has like a magic power where he can just watch this crap by himself all the time <laughs> but like yeah. for a lot for movies like this like I've watched like I don't get as much out of them like just watching it by myself. Um, I agree that I'm I'm definitely a weirdo in that sense. I'm in the minority of people who will watch bad movies by myself and get enjoyment. But even I will admit that like the, the proper like atmosphere is to be in a room with a bunch of people, um, maybe some drinks or whatever. But definitely no, lot, like lots and lots of drinks. Let's just yeah. We need to be those pilots, but watching the movie. You could. <laughs> this movie ha- probably has a good drinking game for it somewhere. That's like the ideal environment for this. Like, I I don't drink that often, but this movie made me want to because that's it was it was very take great. a take a drink every time you can see on Graham Greene's face that he wants to kill the director. <laughs> you would be. I think I would die of alcohol poisoning if that were <laughs> that were the game. Are we are we ready to like? Uh, are, we, are we ready to go through or give our ratings? I guess for this one is that. Um, that one? Yeah. Well, uh, let's let's do. Uh, we don't have much trivia here. We only have a yeah, couple yeah, things Trev. here. Yeah, Trev, run us through. We got three more points of trivia. Yeah. So I I, I wasn't even too aware of this, but uh, it, so apparently the asylum. This is typical for all their productions, I would assume. But um, they they have only thirty salaried employees, and that's kind of their their base group. And I think they have the same crew, kind of works consistently. And then they'll hire another thirty or so freelance crew members per production. 
And, and it's just kind of interesting to think about. You compare that to something like Pacific Rim, which had 30 people in the makeup department alone, right? Um, in terms of effects, how what do you guys think of the effects in Pacific or in Atlantic Rim? Pretty impressive, right? <laughs> they're terrible. Uh, they are that, PlayStation 2 graphics. If that that might be because their entire effects department is uh, 15 people crammed into just two little small offices. And they're usually working on six films at one time because they're doing like the whole <laughs> slate for the asylum in, in one year. How much do these guys get paid? I'm sure it's, it's probably got to be like I'm, minimum wage or something. It's probably a better minimum wage. I feel like the asylum is probably you and I have talked about this, Bert. I bet you they're kind of fun to work for. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. like you're always making something, and like you know they've been successful. Mm-hmm. I mean they've they they kind of have that Corman thing going of where they've never really lost money on a film. Yeah, because they've they never lost sell, money on anything. They sell the TV and, distri- and streaming rights right off the bat yeah. and stuff. So Yeah, I, I think uh, a lot of the time they sell all that stuff before they do it. So like Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And so like they've already like they they won't sell a, a make a movie for any more than they can sell it. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's that's just money uh, in the bank. My next bit of trivia I love, I'm just gonna read this flat out because I can't <laughs> tell it's any better than it's it's written here. Um, <laughs> assistant director Ken Costantino got stoned with Treach one day. And the two decided they needed to have a giant Gatling gun in the movie. He spent $300 of his own money to have one custom made for him and shipped to the shoot because he thought it would be cool. Fortunately, the gun wasn't able to be used because it looked too much like a real Gatling gun. And they would have had to needed to give the police notice to use it. <laughs> so they got high, wanted to have yeah. a giant Gatling gun, and mm-hmm. it didn't work out. Built one. Do you think Treach still has that, though? I like to think he Dude. does. Yeah, he probably does. I could see that. And then finally, for those of you uh, practical effects fans out there, it should be noted that there were scenes shot with a practical robot suit, but it didn't make the film because they thought it looked too goofy. So there you go. The, the asylum does have standards. How bad would that have to be? You can to Google a picture cut? of it and it looks like it looks like someone just made like, it looks like a bad cosplay. Like it looks like it's made out of like garbage bags and like. Like, do you remember, like, uh, Bert? I'm sure, like, years ago, Trey Parker and Matt Stone were talking about making like a, a comedy kaiju film. Yeah, I'm, I imagine whatever this is was it is probably like what they were thinking. <laughs> yeah, it looks. I don't know how they were, why they even bothered. Uh, but that's Atlantic Rim. Now, now I guess our rating, uh, Trev, you you have an active letterbox profile and you watch a lot of Asylum movies, so you've you've reviewed a lot of them, and I know that there's kind of an Asylum curve. Sort yeah, of. well, I've always said that the the only thing that bothers me about Letterbox is that they don't allow ironic ratings. So I always look like an idiot when I give something like you know a Sharknado movie four stars. People are like, "What are you like? Are you high?" And I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa that's not the same kind of four stars I'm giving to like you know I Tanya or something." Calm down. It's it's a different level. Um, so I'm like, people need to understand, especially coming from Bird and I, I think the rating we're about to give is not based on quality of film because look, it's not a good movie. No, it's, it's, it's based on more enjoyment on an ironic level. Uh, yeah. So how many, uh, script writing cans of spaghetti do you give this out of five? (laughs) Um, I'll go first. I, I give this, I think this is a good three, three out of five, I'd say. Um, for that kind of for for what it is, right? I I'm I I know Matt thinks I'm like insane right now, <laughs> but um, I think this is like a really fun one to watch with a group of friends. Um, particularly if you all like Pacific Rim and want to see like the the stupid version of it. 
Um, it's just a good time, and it's it's short. It's not it, you don't have to pay really close attention to it. Um, heck, the, the second time we watched it, I was kind of napping during some of it, and I felt like I still was following along well enough. Um, yeah, I think it's just a fun movie as long as you're in the right mindset for it. But it's not good, just to clarify. Yeah, uh, I would say because I know. We'll have people listening who may not appreciate a fun bad movie or a good bad movie. Uh, for those people, this is probably like a one. Oh, it's a one. <laughs> I mean. But for someone like me who really likes just stupid B movies, bad like I I love bad movies when they're enjoyable. It's an awful movie, but uh, I I like. I, I but I like it because of that and um you know it, it it doesn't do the thing where it is like a bad movie on purpose it's a bad movie cuz they made it with like 2 dollars like over like a weekend I'm exaggerating but they might as well have uh so yeah I I I'm going to go on the asylum curve I'm going to give it a 3 All right uh you guys are clearly smoking with Treach cuz I can't <laughs> No, I mean, listen. I, I, I'm I sure totally Matt's understand. nose is bleeding or something right now. I'm having an aneurysm as we speak. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I, I understand. I, I get the the love of bad movies. I understand the asylum curve. Um, this was a movie that I really struggled to get through, and I I love like I love something like Thanks Killing, which is a terrible movie that was made for like thirty five hundred dollars. So I like bad movies. This one I just really struggled to get into. I will give it props for I love the monster design. I actually thought it was really neat. Um, but aside I like from that, too. yeah, the monster is pretty awesome. We didn't talk about that much, but I thought the design overall was, was pretty, pretty awesome. And they look so realistic. <laughs> yeah. Very life. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, uh, I'm at a one. I mean, I'm probably that guy that's like, I just, I can't do it. Now I will say, I understand why people would like this. And if I watched it with, with a group of friends, if you'd watched I, it with us, man, I would have liked it more. I could never see myself going over two. <laughs> but like it's it's definitely a one for most people, maybe even a half. Uh, I give it a one. All right. Well, sure. hey, what's better, this or the Godzilla anime? This. I would watch this over the Godzilla <laughs> anime. <laughs> Can you? I can't believe. I mean, they made a sequel, guys. As awesome as this movie was, they had to. Or rather, I know they're cashing in on on Pacific Rim too. But they made the sequel, and and I don't. Let, let's talk about that. I have different thoughts about about. This it's sequel. interesting because, like, you know, we talked about like it's like it's kind of weird that there even is a Pacific Rim sequel because you know it wasn't a huge domestic hit. It's just kind of they're cashing in on the, the China thing. But I bet you that for the Asylum, it was probably almost more of a no brainer because I don't know, but I'm guessing Atlantic Rim was probably somewhat successful for them. So why not do a sequel when the next one uh, in the actual series comes along? This one I think is interesting because as whereas the last one they changed the name and like we said it you know I think it showed on TV as uh, Attack from Beneath and that's how it is actually listed when you watch the film. This time they're just like, yep, screw it, we're calling this one Atlantic Rim Resurrection," and they got away with it this time because it's out there and nothing's been changed about it. Um, you want me to kind of talk about the the basics of this? Yeah, go for it, Trev. It's not too much different than the other one. Um, I should point out that even though this one is called Atlantic Rim, it actually takes place on the Pacific. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> whatever. This is uh, in Los Angeles. It's about, what did they say at the beginning, Bird? Like three years later? I think they're just kind of... It says three years, even though, I mean, it's been longer than that. 
in like real life. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, they say it's three years later. Um, you know, Earth is kind of uh, the world is kind of recovered from. Uh, I mean, why wouldn't it be? They only had like a couple small skirmishes, but you know, the monsters have not been around. And, but there's always this kind of constant concern that they might come back. And sure enough, in the very opening scene, uh, you know, there's some kind of exploration, some kind of tests being done in the ocean on the coast of L.A. And they accidentally wake up um, new monsters. As Bird pointed out, these monsters actually look quite different. So I'm not sure if they're supposed to be a different species or if I'm overthinking that question. And honestly, they just never they probably forgot to look at the first film to like remember what the monster <laughs> Well, they keep like. saying they're back, but like these are big insects. The other ones. Yeah, are these, more are, like... these are more like insect driven and they come back and they, there's a, a new team of three pilots. Uh, we do not get any returning characters in this film, but they have new pilots ready to go to fight the monsters and they are, uh, you know, they're they're like kind of chomping at the bit. They're very excited to fight the monsters. And because this is going to have to happen again, the government calls in uh, our main character in this film, uh, Dr. J.P. Roth, the, played by, I don't know, Stephen Richard Harris. There's like no there's nobody of note in this one. They couldn't even get a Chokichi or a green, you know, Um but they call him this doctor because he's the guy who kind of designed a new version of that halo headband. Uh, it's supposed to be like a better version. And they want him to kind of consult on this. And it's that kind of typical trope of these films where he keeps telling the military what they're doing wrong. And, and yeah, it's kind of then at that point, I want to say somewhat of a retread of the first one, only with kind of more baffling decisions. Like for instance, our three pilots, are kind of taken out of the equation pretty early on in the film um, in various ways. And I, I was like, well, that's interesting. You don't really have any of your kind of the three characters you're setting up as a hero is kind of getting through. They're really just kind of dispatched. And uh, we're left with like uh, Dr. Roth is really the, the hero at the end who has to pilot the, the actual robot. Um, and also these monsters have uh, once they get is it that the one dies and like opens up and little. Yeah, like, like spiders the, they come kill out? one and it like explodes with like little baby ones. Yeah. So then we get like little baby spider monsters running all across the city, um, chasing people down and eating them. So that's a nice little new t- twist so we don't just have giant robots versus giant monsters we also get some ground level action and uh and yeah there's not a lot to say about the story other than it is what it is and um it's it's definitely a sequel to atlantic rim (laughs) even though (laughs) nothing really nothing really carries over uh um i i actually just watched this not even maybe what two hours ago and uh Mm -hmm. Like, geez, well, Pete, so you're right about the baffling decisions. They they essentially take out all three pilots, and they don't ever really mention them again or hear from them again after they're removed, and I don't get that. There's well, some uh, well the, the, it's <laughs> Hammer, Bugs, and uh, Badger. Mm-hmm. And ha- the Badger and Bugs are, uh, are uh, female pilots. Uh, bugs gets, like... Acid on her face, yeah, sprayed or with some acid from one of the bugs, and then she's put in the hospital, and she's she like is sick from like being exposed to it or whatever. There's a part we were cracking up at where like she was in she had a bandage over her face, but it like it wasn't even really like attached to her face, and it was it was like way too big, 
Um, <laughs> it's like the nurse did like just the worst job. It's also just like covered in blood. It's like, come on, give her and a the clean side bandage. of her face that was facing the camera was that side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so every time she's like talking, we're like not seeing her eye at all. It's great. Um, and then Badger gets stuck with her because she gets quarantined when they find out that uh, she's like infected. So there, that takes them out of the third act. But- but the weird part of that is they talk about them being not like they don't carry any sort of disease or infectious things. Mm-hmm. Like they literally rule that out with testing at one point in the movie. Dude, don't worry about but, it. But it is weird that they're like not carried through to the end because we even get like a scene of I see this actually kind of reminiscent of the first film where at the beginning we we're introduced to the three pilots at a bar. And that scene actually felt like, oh, this is like the first one where we're getting to see the pilots just hang out and drink. That's what they always do, right? And it's like a long sequence. And then like 15 minutes later, they're like, hey, forget about Bugs and Badger. They're already out of here. <laughs> and then, of course, the 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 one um, like military guy or whatever and the doctor end up piloting the Armada robots um, and not the females. So I don't know. This movie isn't very Me Too uh, friendly. No. Um, and then, of course, Hammer, he's the black guy. Uh, he dies first, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, Bird, yeah. listen, listen, you're going to, of the two of us or three of us on this show right now, you're going to die first. That's how this works. <laughs> I, I know. That's, that's just how it works. Uh, so, the, yeah, the female characters are pretty much useless. Um, Amber, that was cold. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, I, they shouldn't have been. It's a very strange uh, decision, story. Especially decision. Bugs. I'm just going to throw it out there right now. But I had a little bit of a be like a crush on Bugs. That's a pretty, she's pretty cute. And I was like, come on, let's can you pull this girl through? Um, another thing is, you know like, what? Even even when she's got the S on her face, I'm, I'm going to be nice about it. No, oh, there you go. Uh, um, you totally threw Bird off with. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm sure burn the burn victims everywhere are listening, and they they'll feel better now. They appreciate me. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> another difference this one has is uh, for some reason, anytime they're in like uh, one of the like hangars or something for the robots, or anytime they have to like go oh, into the God. base, it's like this weird computer animated set that they're on. Like it looks like a Tim and Eric skit. Ooh, there, the, oh my God! There is a moment early on when they first walk up to the elevator that is so funny. Like we just like lost it. And you're right. That is so like it looks like. Um, if anyone remembers that famous Tim and Eric skit with Paul Rudd, like in that like computerized environment with that computer, it's that's what it looks like. It's like holy crap, this is bad. <laughs> I I don't even understand why they felt like they needed to do that. <laughs> um. We also have that weird subplot in this because we do. I boy, I said earlier that they didn't get any big stars for this. So I was crazy. They have B movie superstar Paul Logan, uh, star of Mega Piranha. Oh in yeah, a slightly more thankless role here is just one of the kind of <laughs> military attaché kind of guys. Um, but we get to follow for no particular compelling reason his family, his wife and daughter, on the run from like the little spiders running around the city in a subplot that I'm fairly sure does not get resolved. <laughs> <laughs> well, he seems mildly concerned about it at certain yeah. points, and then at the end he does. Pre- he, he the solution to that subplot is he pretty much just drives up to where they are and picks them up. But then yeah, at the it's... end, when he drives away, they're not in the car with them yeah, anymore. Yeah, they're not there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't, I don't uh, know where they go. Did you guys? Did you guys catch the part? I mean, after they defeat the monster, 
all of the little bugs are still around and like they act like they've defeated everything and i'm like there's still an army of bugs <laughs> in the city <laughs> maybe it's that like marvel maybe it's that marvel thing where when they beat the big one all the little ones died <laughs> right <But> they, <laughs> i mean maybe they were still moving though so it didn't look that way <laughs> yeah <I guess. laughs> that was uh i don't remember if it was hammer or the other guy but um I think it I think it was the military guy towards the end. Uh but he I think he gets like sprayed with some of the acid on his leg and he like reaches like around his seat and he gets out a first aid kit. Yeah, he stabs himself with a needle like that's going to stop the acid burning <laughs> through his leg. I just love that they have like consumer quality first aid kits. What what did that, you guys... that, that that acid counteracting a, a syringe, you know? <laughs> Hey, what did you guys think of uh, Second Raid Rock, which is uh, Russo, the guy that ends up taking over for oh, the other we kept, <laughs> we kept saying that, too. We were like, this is like the their like, fake yeah. version of uh, The Rock. Yeah, actually, I think like everybody in the movie, we were like, this is like a, like a fake version of that guy. Um, I'm going to pull a deep cut here again that only one person in the room got when we watched it last night. But the main character, uh, Dr. Roth, played by an actor named Steve Richard Harris. And I said he was like a second rate Jason Gedrick. And Jason Gedrick is already pretty low on the celebrity scale, so that's telling you something. <laughs> Nobody what this listening, movie is. <laughs> including me, knows who that is. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, I will say this, like uh, Bert, I know you and I want to get here. Um, so you know, you always wait, you always hope each of these will have some kind of shining thing, and sometimes it's a shining star. And uh, if if Graham Greene in the first one wasn't trying at all. Then let's give a special award to Terry Woodbury, who in this plays General Worthington, the the kind of Graham Greene replacement, who is just so hilarious in this movie because he's trying so hard and is just so over the top. And it's such a crazy performance. I love, <laughs> really, like everything I love every he moment says, he was on screen, every, everything he says has like a weird punctuation to it, like almost like he's trying to do like a Denzel Washington kind of like intensity, mm-hmm. but it just doesn't work. Yeah, like he, he says everything like this. Yeah, he's the he's the breakout star of this yeah. for me. For sure. And the the other guy that tr- is trying too hard is the guy, uh, the the guy we just talked about, the the fake rock guy. Like, remember when he like sacrifices himself at the end, and he's like <laughs> screaming, screaming at the top no, of yeah. his lungs, <laughs> <laughs> like screaming bloody murder. Uh, uh, also, how does he know how to pilot that thing? Like all the button. I'm just you know throwing that out there. I don't know. Like it, it, it at least makes sense that like the guy that came up with the neuro whatever, like would no, be familiar with it. But yeah, I don't know how that guy can do it. And and in this movie, like in in the first one, when they get the neural headband things, like they start like moving. Like you know, they'll swing a punch in the cockpit, and then the robot will swing a punch. In this, like they have the neural uplink, but they still like are using like the little like mm-hmm. joysticks yeah. yeah like what why well the, the whole thing with that is they're trying to get rid of the connection between the or basically stopping the pilots from feeling the pain of the robot so that's why that guy is brought back mm-hmm. and so i thought it was a combination of the uplink and then and then manually piloting it that prevents that is what i gathered but you I, know, I, I did think it was like term. it was an interesting twist that i haven't seen in something like this where like the robots are like old and everything and like they're 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 having problems so like they lag so if 
they try to like block a hit from a monster, like they won't be able to do it in time because the robot will block way after the pilot does. And I was like, okay, that's like an interesting like problem to throw into a story like this. But like that never gets. That's why they bring the doctor that designed uh, the thing back in the first place. But that doesn't really get resolved. Like they just kinda... no. It's like, as 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 often happens in a silent film, they'll actually raise a, a point that could be interesting, and then it never comes up, and it never matters. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, Bird, we almost forgot to talk about uh, another one of our favorite characters, the main character's best friend, who just spend, inexplicably spends the entire movie driving around on a boat <laughs> yeah. and, like, calling the main character. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this we guy... Couldn't, like, it, we can't figure out, like, the time of it, because it, uh, if, I, if I'm if i following the timeline of this movie correctly, this guy is just driving around a boat for what I assume is three days. <laughs> <laughs> that is accurate, yeah, it's, it's about yeah. three days. And he, yeah, and he just calls him at random points in the movie, and it'll be like there's something in the water out here and it's like okay yeah, like, it's like are you ever gonna go ashore and get some food or like yeah, change your clothes go, go home <laughs> <laughs> and uh the uh the resolution of that character is uh pretty it's great, pretty great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like one of those classic <laughs> asylum deaths that just was amazing, but yeah, I <laughs> I don't know why that character was even in this. Um, and there's and this is something that only happens in one scene. But you know, I mean, as any fan of monster movies likes, you know, you want the monsters to be called something, you know. And there there's one scene where they're talking and they keep referring to the creatures as hadamorphs, but it's only in that one scene. It's not something that's said in the first movie. It's not something that said any more in this so i don't know if that's what these bug things are called or if that's like you know in pacific rim the monsters are all kaiju even though they're all different like i don't know what it is or why it's there yeah i couldn't tell you about it man (laughs) (laughs) um and after watching the movie do you know why it's called atlantic rim resurrection no. Well, no, it's for us. So I don't know why it's called Atlantic Rim. It doesn't take place in the Atlantic. <laughs> well, there's that. And, and what are they bringing back to life? I don't. Yeah. I don't know. Could uh, like Justice League be called Justice League Resurrection? Would that make more sense? Yeah. Now, I should be fair. Now that I'm thinking about it, because I think we talked about this last night while we were watching it. I'm kind of assuming that it's taking place in L.A. because it was clearly filmed in California. But then again, it could be that they're trying. They're very unsuccessfully trying to pass <laughs> off L.A. as the East Coast, because now I just remember that his wife, the, the guy's wife and daughter, do say they're going to drive to Tennessee. That would be a pretty long drive from California, I guess. That's Except true. the storyline on IMDb, literally the first line says Los Angeles is under attack by monsters. Oh, well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Nobody seems to know where this is taking place. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um. I don't know. I mean, this is uh, my feelings about this aren't much different from the first one. I will say I I like the first one more because I like the charm of just three drunk people piling robots who really have no business doing so. Uh, Combine that with the non-performance of Graham Greene and other inexplicably crazy things. Um, But I did have a good time with this one. Uh, Like the first one, I actually did like the monsters. Um, more than you would I you would think like an asylum movie would be like oh they did a good job on the monsters so um, 
I don't know, Matt, maybe you can write to X plus and request uh, $200 Atlantic rim figures. I don't know. My, uh, my toy collecting days, I think are behind me. I'm uh, yeah, I got, I got a child and bills to pay in college to save for. That's but life, yeah, man. I don't think X plus would really listen to about these particular what are they, crabs. <laughs> But what wait, what if them? they? What if X Plus put out? Because you just said your days are behind you. But what if X Plus put out like a highly detailed model of the fist bump scene from the end of Atlantic? Okay, Rim? now I think everybody <laughs> has to buy that. <laughs> I'm going to contradict myself a bit. I like if this movie has sort of it feels like just kind of a, a straight B movie as opposed to something that's I don't know you can really riff on constantly as the first movie did. The monster stuff and the effects are are marketably better, in my opinion. I like this movie and enjoyed it a lot more, but I think I would have enjoyed it less than the first one if I were watching with the big group, and I would have enjoyed the first one a lot more than this watching it with the big group. So, like, it's kind of one of those weird things where if you're looking for, like, a straight B movie, I enjoyed this for what it was, but I would have liked liked it probably less in a big group because I'm like, oh, I'm kind of I'm kind of into this one. Does that make any sense at all? No, I, I get just, it. it, it you, yeah, there's, a, actually, there's a, a weird logic behind that that I can follow. Basically, you were watching this and you're like, this is brilliant, and I don't want anyone here to make jokes about it. <laughs> That's, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of one of those things where, like, it's it's not as, it's not nearly as uh, dumb as the first one, and that's part of the, the first one's charm, I suppose. But I sort of liked it more watching it alone because of that. Um, yeah, I'd say uh, I'm I'm more on Matt's camp, uh, not necessarily that I want to watch it alone, although Bird knows I would and I probably will. Um, <laughs> but uh, I like this one more. I, I think this is a more fun film than the first one. Um, it's definitely better made for whatever that is. It's a little more means. polished, but I wonder if yeah. that's just... You know, I mean, they probably have mildly better cameras and, you know, better. Well, software. and I also I also do think there's somebody said for it doesn't really. Whereas the first one was clearly trying to be a Pacific Rim mockbuster and, and go off of what they knew about Pacific Rim at the time. This one feels a little more free to just be like, OK, well, we're doing a sequel and whatever. Um, hey, should we throw in little spider monsters, too? Yeah, why not? Just go ahead and do that. So it has that kind of feel that we were talking about earlier of just like whatever they wanted to do, they threw in. And I just think this one is more kind of fun overall. Like the first one is is great when you're with some people because it's got the Graham Greene thing. It's got some goofy stuff. But this one is pretty thoroughly enjoyable from beginning to end. I like like Matt said on that kind of like just dumb B-movie level. I think this is the kind of one that more than the first one kind of harkens back to the glory days when Sci-Fi Channel would always debut a new kind of fun B-monster movie every Saturday night. This feels like it belongs in that camp even more so than the first one to me. Okay, so, uh, geez, how many, um, uh, how many first aid kits with just Band-Aids and a Venom neutralizing syringe do you give this out of five? Well, this is tough because if I gave the first one three and I said this one's better, I have to say either like three and a half or four, and I sound like a total like insane person. But uh, I'll just mark this one up to three point five. I'm not going to go nuts and give anything a four at this point. You, like, when you're talking four out of five, you're talking like you know air collision or Sharknado. Like I'm not going to go crazy here. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'd say this one's a three point five. It's it's more enjoyable than the first one to me. You know, actually, I also am going to give this a three and a half on the asylum curve, of course. But like, I I liked it for what it was, honestly. So yeah. Okay, I'm gonna do. Hmm. 
I like the first one more, but I think I'm going to give this one the same score. I think I'm going to do a three because it's probably just as much fun. I think the first one's just a little more endearing to me for, you know, different reasons. But yeah, I, I, I think if you like stupid movies, uh, these are both uh, worth a watch, especially if you are like a kaiju fan. And if if you like Pacific Rim and want to see like the dumb version of it, watch these. Um a couple of things I want to mention that I, I actually forgot to bring up uh, during the first movie. I don't know how I forgot this, but Matt, you might have noticed it. Trev, I know for sure you know. In the last battle, when they're fighting in the city on like all the big buildings, there's like billboards and posters up for movies. Like in real life, only it's like asylum movies. So there's like a giant like skyscraper sized poster on the side of a building for air collision. And like they, there's like Mega Shark movie posters like all over downtown. Like, so whatever universe these movies take place in, those are like, like Mega Shark versus Crocosaurus is like their Avengers Infinity War. Like those are the big blockbusters in the Atlantic Rim universe. Mm-hmm. I want to live there. <laughs> and then uh, I guess what better way to close than to point out, um, if. Us saying that these dumbass movies are fun isn't enough. There is a, another person who is a fan of Mockbusters, and that is one Guillermo del Toro, director of Pacific Rim, and of course now two-time Oscar winner. Um, not for Pacific Rim. Although he probably should have. Um, uh, and the director of this movie met him at a Pacific Rim uh, premiere screening or whatever, and Guillermo told him he already knew all about Atlantic Rim, and he was looking forward to it because he is a fan of Mockbusters. So don't take it from us. Um, so that that does mean he's likely watched at least the first one mm-hmm. at this point. So, uh, yeah, so the best endorsement that's not us is someone who uh, said he was going to watch the first one. You know who else I bet is watching a silent movie is I've heard Tom Cruise say that he watches a movie a day. And if you watch 365 movies in a year, there's got to be some asylum movies mixed in there. Oh, oh yeah. That's... What about Tarantino? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like Tarantino and Rodriguez have dipped their foot in there. Yeah. I mean, Rodriguez is like five years away from directing for the asylum. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's sad, but it's true. <laughs> Well, we'll see how Battle Angel turns out. Yeah, that's true. That looks, I, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. So, um, so that's our Atlantic Rim special. Um, uh, I bet a lot of people probably elected not to even listen to this when they saw what it was. But for yeah, those of you who out. did, uh, you got to experience something that other people missed out on. Well, I think that's like, you're right, though. You said this earlier, but I mean, if you did listen to this whole time and the whole time you've still been kind of scoffing and rolling your eyes, like, just give these a shot. Like, I, I think there is a lot of un, unnecessary negativity about the asylum. Um, I, I know people have said this, like, idea of, like, how stupid and cynical it is, but the right mindset, just accept what they are. They're fun, and the people making them know they're fun, and they're not trying to present anything other than what they are. And who can't just, like, enjoy dumb crap for 90 minutes, you know? Yeah. At best, they're a lot of fun. Uh, like, a blast. At worst, they're, like, awfully awful and just so boring. I think the worst one is probably the Thor one that we watched. 
That was pretty bad, or American Warship, their battleship blockbuster yeah. was pretty bad. That one was pretty bad, too. But, but yeah, it's kind of a crapshoot, but uh, I think the Atlantic Rims are on the better side of things. Um, and at some point uh, this year, we have, um, I, I, like I said, Triassic World, about um, dinosaurs being used to grow human organs. So, I mean, that's mm-hmm. probably a cooler... Honestly, that's probably a, that might be a cooler plot than Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Yeah. Would you rather watch uh, dinosaur uh, organs or dinosaurs on an active volcano? Trying Organ, to dinos- yeah, dinosaur yeah, organs, yeah. 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 And I'll tell you what, like, like, whatever you might have as a selling point, like, okay, oh, yeah, Jeff Goldblum's in Fallen Kingdom. Well, he's only in Fallen Kingdom for, like, four minutes more than he's in Triassic World. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, Mega Shark versus Moby Dick, which is a <laughs> crossover and <laughs> uh, a sequel to the Mega Shark franchise and the Asylum's modern-day retelling of Moby Dick, in which Moby Dick at one point uh, got up and uh, walked around on land. Mm. Check it out. And yet, oddly enough, they're still denying us the the thing we were waiting for, um, because their two most popular franchises are Sharknado and Mega Shark, and we still have not gotten Mega Sharknado, which I just don't get uh, why they're missing that. Yeah, what's up with that? They should do that and then do, like, their destroy all monsters with all their monsters. Mm-hmm. You guys are getting wild, man. <laughs> <laughs> this is the kind of things we think about. Yeah. Really I mean, is. they're all within the vein of the asylum, so I could see every single one of those ideas come to fruition, but still. Make it happen, man. I mean, Full Moon used to do that and cross over all their stuff. Why can't the asylum? The asylum is, like, the... Like, mod- I, better More than anything, it's probably, like... The new full moon. Yeah. Although full moon's still around, so. Yeah, but uh, what do they do? People still watch them, man. (laughs) Do they still make anything? Yeah, I believe so. They still do, like, killer bong movies and killjoy movies and things like that. All right. There's a new Puppet Master coming. That's true, that's true. Um... All right, well, I I, I think that's... I think that, that about wraps it up. Um... Thank you, and yeah, uh, I mean, if you just want to watch some unpretentious, dumb B-movies, check these out, um, and uh, we'll see if Uprising is any better. Mm-hmm. Peace. All right. Yeah, All right. see ya. See ya.